I'm Megan. And I'm Natalie. And this is Body Literacy Babes. We're certified fertility awareness educators. And here in this podcast, we want you to join the conversation. And with today's episode, we're really going to jump right into it. Um, With everything that's been going on lately, we really wanted to um, dedicate a whole episode to talking about um, the topic of anti-racism and how it relates to fertility awareness. And we were really thinking, you know, as a brand new podcast, I think this is only like our sixth episode or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we're really fortunate to be able to lay the groundwork for a podcast and um, our platform that's committed to the journey of dismantling racism and, you know, using anti-racist practices um, and also dismantling white supremacy. And so what we're going to be talking about today, we just want to put out the content warning that it may be triggering to BIPOC. Yeah. So the, yeah, like Megan said, the goal of this episode today isn't to center our own voices. Um, It's to use this space to maybe inspire or just share our process with setting the groundwork for doing anti-racist work in a podcast and in the work that we do. Mm-hmm. We also want to give BIPOC space to breathe and process. And we also acknowledge that there are so many resources out there right now that folks can look up, take in, pay for without yeah. burdening people of color Absolutely. and um, getting in their DMs and asking for information that's already available. And that being said, we really want to um, encourage you to pay people for the information that you're getting, pay Black women, people that you're learning from, support their work, buy their books, and take their courses. Uh, So yeah, basically today we just want to share our process and use our voices in a way that might be productive and helpful for fertility awareness educators or charters. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to kind of um, get into that more, I think it's helpful, like you mentioned, um, for anyone who's listening to kind of, um, you know, take into consideration the information we'll share and then also just go out and do your own education and and unlearning um, and continue to explore resources because this has to be obviously a sustainable practice that we're all incorporating into our own businesses. This cannot be something that is trending for a few weeks and then it falls off of people's radars. Um, We really need to be incorporating this for the long term, of course. And we also wanted to share this information not as like a pat on our own backs or for brownie points at all, but so that we can hold ourselves accountable and also so that our audience can hold us accountable as well because they'll know what to expect for the future. And we're hoping that this will just be helpful for other FAM charters as well as FAM educators. Honestly, anyone in the field who relates to the the field, anyone who may be charting. So having said that, if you have feedback for other ways that we can practice anti-racism, please call us in and let us know by emailing us at bodyliteracybabes at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message here on the Anchor app. Um, If you don't have Anchor, you can download that app and you can actually send us a voice message right from like our podcast page. 
Um, and we just know that this is a journey. It's a continuous process. We're never gonna like arrive <laughs> and be perfect at it um, or get everything right. And at the same time, it's something that we're committed to uh, always trying and always trying to do our best with um, and growing with. So today we really want to lay the groundwork for where we're going to go as a podcast to ensure that this is a sustainable part of what we do. It's not just one episode that's dedicated specifically to anti-racist work in fertility awareness, but that it's ongoing and that we are opening ourselves up to criticism and to feedback and how we can do better because inevitably we're going to screw up. And I think if we didn't put ourselves out of our comfort zone and out on the line and being brave and sharing about this topic, we wouldn't be doing anything at all. So um, if we, if we don't say something, if we don't acknowledge what is going on, Mm -hmm. we have to put it on ourselves to, to say something and to be active in anti-racist work. Um, Nobody else is going to do it for us. We have to, we have to do it. So we want to talk about why this is relevant to the world of fertility awareness and to body literacy. And then we also want to outline ways that folks can actively commit to anti-racism and, and, and encourage them to do this sustainably and in the future. And then we want to talk about some of the steps that we want to take now and in the future uh, kind of acting as our our commitment, our little place marker mm-hmm. uh, for where we want to go. So why is anti-racist work and talking about white supremacy important in the world of FAM? That's the first thing that we want to talk about. And Megan and I were, were just discussing before we hit record about how yeah. we found it really hard to find resources on this specifically in the world of fertility awareness and that doesn't mean that uh, fertility awareness is part of white supremacy that means that it hasn't been acknowledged and is very complicit in racism and white supremacy so Mm -hmm. i think it's really important to make space for this conversation so that we can learn more and do better uh, going forward And also, you know, it's not that those resources don't exist somewhere out there. It's that, like, they're hard to find and they haven't had a light shown on them and that those voices have not been amplified. And that's a problem. (laughs) And, you know, as as two, you know, white privileged um, fertility awareness educators, that that is our privilege and we want to do the work to amplify other people's voices and point you toward their work so that you can go out and support them and um and do more of that learning um but yeah in in researching this podcast like it was very difficult um to find like modern day resources regarding fertility awareness um we of course did find um resources and we'll get to that in a bit um delving into the history and development of the field of gynecology, um, which of course is uh, relating heavily to what fertility awareness teaches us. Um, but yeah, it was difficult to find the, those specific, um, that specific information. I don't yeah, know. And there's a lot of research on the outcomes for 
black maternal health rates and pregnant black folks yeah however not as much on well there's there actually are a few studies done on fertility outcomes for black women but i think understanding white supremacy and how it filters into health outcomes and experiences in healthcare for black people really relates to fertility awareness as well as what is accessible and what is seen as normal and what is available to black women and how fertility awareness exists in the wellness world as something that is more accessible to white women. I think that's something that we need to talk about and we need to um, just acknowledge and work towards changing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, some of, the, some of the research that I dove into is really, just really points to the fact that we can't separate white supremacy from the reproductive health, health outcomes and experiences for BIPOC. They are so interwoven and we talked about, or we mentioned the roots of gynecology and they're so, so interwoven that we just can't deny that there is a connection between the two. Mm -hmm. And this shows up in so many different ways and ways that as white women, we will never experience firsthand, but we need to be aware of them. Mm-hmm. So do we want to mention and kind of get into um, more of these, not not stats necessarily, but I think just background history. Um, so one thing that we came across, um, black women are twice as likely to experience infertility as white women and are less likely to seek treatment for it. Um, and again, that can come back to accessibility and a lot of other um, cumulative stress factors um, that are going on in their lives. Um, much of the research, research that modern gynecology is founded on stems from these experimental surgeries and studies that were done on enslaved women. And I think it's important to note and to know that these experimental surgeries were done without any form of um, anesthesia. After the surgeries, um, they were given opium, which at the time was sort of the quote-unquote standard of practice. And um, it's also important to note that these women were not able to give consent because of the framework that was, you know, surrounding them in this whole situation. It's really important to acknowledge the context that, you know, at that time, these enslaved women who were contributing to this research, um, they simply weren't able to give consent. The consent was something that was considered to be given by their owners um, to the doctor. And to learn more about this, um, I just want to highlight So there's a really excellent book called Medical Bondage, Race, Gender, and the Origins of American Gynecology, and that's by Dr. Deirdre Cooper Owens. And um, I've been listening to a lot of excellent podcasts that she's been on um, in the past, 
and just because I tend to learn better from listening as opposed to reading. Um, but the and also with the podcast, it was great to kind of hear those conversations. Um, but she just gets into so much of the rich, incredible history of this whole conversation. Um, very nuanced and very vital information that I think is important. A lot of the history of gynecology and the history of um, just Black women really trickles down into the experiences today that we can talk about intergenerational trauma and how there isn't, there's no separation between what happened before and what is being experienced now. And there are very real realities. And, and some of the other research that I came across was about how Black women are more likely to experience discrimination and racism in the healthcare system, especially when it comes to contraception and family planning. And thinking about the history and legacy of eugenics, um, Black women are more encouraged to postpone or restrict conception. And they're more likely to experience discrimination when they're having these conversations with their doctors. So as white women, we might experience um, some, you know, we might have these conversations in the doctor's office about alternatives to hormonal birth control and wanting to use fertility awareness. This is amplified, Mm -hmm. you know, so much more for Black women when they go into their doctor's office um, that they experience those types of conversations at a completely different level. Um, and that's something that we don't talk about or acknowledge in the fertility awareness world. We're really, um, you know, we have agency and we have, um, a different experience when we step into the doctor's office as white folks. Um, and then something that we talked a little bit about in our FEM training, and I think this was the only Mm -hmm. piece of um, history relating to anti-racism was that uh, when the when the birth control pill was being trialed in the 1950s it was initially done in Boston I believe and there were too many yeah side side effects effects and on the white women (laughs) on the white women and so what did they do they moved the trials to Puerto Rico where there was less education us human yeah. rights and the trials went ahead and the birth control pill was approved regardless yeah. of the side the, effects the side effects yeah and you know of course in puerto rico those trials were then be, being done on women of color um you know with less agency and it's really important to also name that um th- there were three deaths during those trials and still they're like, it's fine, go ahead with the birth control pill. Like, what the hell is that? And I mean, that's that's something that's always really gotten gotten to me, just knowing that that in the past when they were developing birth control, um, there were these intense side effects and still there wasn't, you know, the pill was not further refined. Um, I'm not not saying they like put it out the next day or something, but it's like they certainly didn't refine it more to the point where um, that side effect of potential death um, was less of an issue. Still, you know, 
for I think a couple decades later after it was introduced, that was still a big side effect for people. And Mm -hmm. later down the line, they refined it so that there were less dosages of the synthetic hormones in the pills and, you know, of these different brands and generics and things like that so that they were still able to um, function and, you know, prevent ovulation um, and have less side effects. But still, even today, the side effects are, they can range from being very mild or covert to the point where they're happening in the body, but we may not outwardly notice it until later. Um, or there, there are still these overt side effects, like, you know, in, increased risk of blood clots or death. Um, and we're not trying to fear monger those, but I think they're just so rarely, very rarely acknowledged. And I think that birth control and the pill are praised and lauded and people aren't allowed to question them. Um, and so I just think it's important to remember that this entire um, culture of, of women using birth control is like the longest running experiment on women. Um, and it started with those women of color. And yeah, I just think it's really important to like acknowledge that and to kind of name it. Mm, yeah, 100%. That's something that really sticks with me too. Yeah, I think I think just understanding the history of uh, contraception, even the history of fertility awareness too, as well as where we get our research and where we get our information and our trainings, those are all steeped in in white supremacy. And I think that, you know, I think that's definitely connected to the experience of Black women and contraceptives and fertility Mm -hmm. awareness today. So should we talk about what we've been finding helpful for our own learning and things that we've been we've been diving into and learning from lately and things that we want to learn mm-hmm. from in the future. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things I've been really exploring um, has been more information on the mothers of gynecology and to get back to um, or it's kind of getting back to that book that we mentioned before, Medical Bondage. Um, by Dr. Deirdre um, Cooper Owens. And I've just been listening to a bunch of podcasts that she's been on um, to get to know that history a bit better. And one thing I love that she really accentuates and emphasizes pretty regularly is that her book is not focused on Dr. James Marion Sims, who's often talked about as the quote-unquote father of gynecology, Um, often people are so focused on his legacy, his story, um, his role in it, which of course is, you know, it it is important to, to acknowledge that. Um, but also she puts the focus, she centers the black women, um, who were enslaved and were, who were doing the reproductive labor and who were, you know, forced to participate in these experiments. And so um, one person in particular, her name was Anarka Westcott, um, 
she had recently um, given birth and she was suffering from what's called a vesicovaginal fistula, which is where um, there's, there's kind of a tear between the vaginal canal and the bladder and it can cause tons of pain. Um, and so Dr. James Marion Sims, um, back in this time, the, the context was kind of like he considered himself to be a medical entrepreneur. And so many doctors also did that at that time. And so they were very fixated on like developing specific surgeries or specific procedures or techniques or tools that they could kind of like brand <laughs> um, for themselves. And so he did, I believe it's over 30 um, surgeries on Anarcha, again, without anesthesia. And another thing that um, Dr. Cooper Owens emphasizes is that, um, you know, at this time, anesthesia, I think, was like just starting to become available on the scene. And I think it was like, just starting to become available for white women. And so it wasn't yet the standard of care or the standard of practice, and especially not for black women who were enslaved. Um, and so, again, I think they were sometimes given opium after the surgery, but during they had to be restrained. And one of the biggest issues with this is that um, there were there was this perception that by the way is still sometimes taught in some medical schools today in some ways there was this big perception that black women experienced less pain and you know their nerve endings weren't as sensitive and things like that and so they could like endure more pain which is monstrous and terrible um and so you know these women had to be forcibly restrained for these surgeries. And, um, you know, eventually, Dr. Marion Sims did develop this specific um, surgery that was successful. It did go on to um, be performed successfully in more women and, and white women as well. Um, but the history of how that surgery came to be um, is very messed up. And so some of the other women that I just want to highlight also are Lucy and Betsy um, and the innumerable other women whose names we don't know. Um, but they were, again, all experimented on without consent in order to develop that technique for the vesicovaginal fistulas. Um, and so I've just been listening to a lot of information about that area of history, again, with a focus more on their lives. Um, and I just want to kind of read, um, it's a quote from an article um, by Aya Nuridin, um that was about this book um, that was written. And they say, yet in striking contrast to earlier work on antebellum uh, medicine and slavery, Cooper Owens considers the work of enslaved women as part of the knowledge production of modern gy gynecology. In addition to their reproductive labor and their work as experimental subjects, enslaved women also performed important medical work. 
These were nurses and midwives, and they even assisted in medical and surgical procedures. She shows us that enslaved women were vital to the function of quote-unquote sick houses and slave hospitals on plantations, and often they were not recognized as medical practitioners by slave owners or by historians. By thinking of enslaved women as medical practitioners, we recognize their significance in, in the development of American gynecology. It also allows us to consider how their work produced and refined racial science while they were simultaneously subjected to scientific racism and medical injustice. So I just thought that was very well put. Um, and that, again, is from an article by Aya Nuridin, um on nursingcleo.org, if you want to look it up and learn more. So, yeah, that's um, what I've been looking into for the time being. I, I really appreciate that, Megan. So I've been diving a lot into books and education and mm-hmm. podcasts and all of those kinds of things. And something that I reflected on was... Um, in social work, we are really terrible at white exceptionalism mm. and this notion that we can get to a place of being not racist if we educate ourselves and know enough about discrimination and oppression in various systems. And this is this is a trap that I fell into thinking that I had arrived at a place where I knew enough that I got complacent. Mm -hmm. And so something for me that's been really helpful is, is making a list of, of all of these resources so that going forward, it's a process that is integrated into my business, into the learning that I consume on a daily and weekly and monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And making sure that it really is sustainable. And a big part of this is that as white folks, we have to actively seek it out. Um, We can become complacent and ignore white supremacy and because we're white. And that doesn't, it doesn't quote unquote seem like it's affecting us because we're white. (laughs) Exactly. Complacency can just continue to uphold those systems. Mm. And then it also puts the responsibility on BIPOC right. to do the work of, of dismantling white supremacy. Which it should not be. <laughs> <laughs> so a book that I've been working through has been Me and White Supremacy by Layla Sad, And it's been extremely helpful for me at identifying some of my blind spots, some of the places where I need to pay attention and some of the places where I become complacent. And it's been really, really helpful as I lay the foundations in my own business and in my own life to, to do this work. And so, so that's one resource that I found really helpful. And I've been digging into a lot of um, webinars and podcasts around having a business that's actively anti-racist and stemming from this notion that if I, if I don't do it, who will? That as business owners, we have to really stand up and mm-hmm. lead in our own communities and in our own communities of, of white folks to say something, to stand up and to commit to doing this work. 
and that it's more than posting a black square that sometimes Mm -hmm. it's 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 really hard work and it should be and something in a podcast that I listened to by Rachel Ricketts was that if it doesn't feel like you are um I can't remember how she exactly put it but it was something along the lines of it doesn't feel like you're discovering the matrix that your whole world (laughs) is being turned upside down that everything you thought was real and truth is being challenged then you're not doing it right and so Mm -hmm. that's something that's really resonated with me to really turn everything upside down and to be really um yeah to just be really aware of the ways that your business and your own life has become complacent so um there's a really great webinar from Rachel Rogers, Hello7. It's called the Small Business Town Hall. And uh, we'll link it in the show notes. It outlines really amazing first steps that business owners can take to become actively anti-racist and to work towards anti-racism. And there's a pledge that you can sign that outlines accountability steps to really keep yourself on track and to get some inspiration and it's just a starting point but I found that really helpful and Rachel Ricketts has uh, webinars for spiritual spiritual activism there are so many books we mentioned medical bondage a couple other books that I came across which we'll also link in the show notes are killing black bodies and medical apartheid. Mm -hmm. And um, the book that I mentioned was Me and White Supremacy. And there are so, uh, so many more, but we just want to, we want to just kind of go over the ones that we found helpful for us personally. Yeah. And we'll try and um, put a more complete list. It won't be an exhaustive list. Again, we're always going to be seeking out more resources, more information, Um, but we'll put more in the show notes. Um, so that people can go ahead and um, start to use that as a resource. And again, a starting point. Mm. Um, yeah, I love hearing about that. I love, and I think it's very important, um, like you said, for us to be leaders in this, for everyone who has their own fertility awareness educator practice and business, for them to really step up right now and into the future sustainably on a long-term basis so that this becomes interwoven into their business and their practices. Um, one awesome resource, resource that I've been loving listening to is this podcast called That's Not How That Works. And it's hilarious, first of all. <laughs> um, the two hosts, uh, Trudy and Weez, they have such an amazing um, chemistry. And it's just amazing to listen to. But um, in their own words, they say this podcast is an exploration of diversity, inclusion, and equity, and how these things show up or don't in our personal and professional communities. Um, and so the podcast hosts, um, again, are Trudy and Weez, and they are uh, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion experts. Um, and so 
they just make really incredible episodes that go into depth about building uh, business practices into your business that actively dismantle racism and white supremacy. Um, and it's very, very helpful. Um, again, a starting point. And then I think the next steps would be to either work with them, take their webinars and their courses, um, you know, become a client of theirs, participate in their communities um, so that this is an ongoing dialogue and we're continuing to challenge ourselves and learn more. So um, I've just been loving that. And uh, I've been taking a, um, a course with Trudy um, currently, and I'm kind of working through that, but it's just been amazing. Um, and then let's see some other resources. I have a whole entire list that I'm trying to look through. Um, oh, go ahead. I really love the podcast that you sent me. Oh yeah. <laughs> that Trudy and Louise do. Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard of it until, uh, you'd shared it with me, but it's also been really incredible and I joined the they have a Facebook group awesome Um, and I'm really excited to 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 kind of um just look into more of their resources and listen to all the episodes they've been really helpful and I I really enjoy them yeah I've just been going down the list they what I love about their podcast is that they cover these topics like really in depth so you know it's like sort of what um I'm trying to describe it. You know, it's not getting to the granule level of detail that you would really need to probably implement these things into your business. But I think they do get into the the perfect sweet spot where like they're really challenging perspectives um, and they're just like so blunt. I love it. <laughs> um, and so it's just been really uh, awesome to listen to. They have they cover all these different topics and it's really amazing. Um, Another resource that um, I've been following for a while that I think is parallel to fertility awareness, not fertility awareness exactly, but it's, you know, one of those parallel fields, Um, but Steamy Chick. So Kelly Garza, um, she's the founder of Steamy Chick, and um, she also teaches courses about um, uh, pelvic steaming, how to become a certified practitioner. Um, how to become a certified uh, peristeam hydrotherapist. And she has also conducted um, what's called the fourth master, or excuse me, fourth trimester uh, postpartum study about vaginal steaming and how it can affect and improve outcomes for postpartum people. And so I just have loved her work. Um, and especially um, recently, she's just been putting out a lot of great resources as well. Um, but if you're not familiar with pelvic steaming, um, basically what it is, is you're allowing steam um, to kind of come over um, the vulva, and it can really help to improve things like circulation and improve um, period cramps and just help to improve different parameters of the menstrual ovulation cycle. Um, and these are not just anecdotal um, pieces of evidence that we're talking about. Um, Kelly Garza has accumulated hundreds of case studies from individuals who have done pelvic steaming on a routine basis for a long time. She's documented the positive outcomes, and more recently they've done this um, really excellent uh, trial study, or 
what, what, do, you, what do they call it? Um, pilot study or trial study. Um, but that was great to learn about. And actually, to kind of get to my next point, um, the Fertility Friday podcast hosted by Lisa Hendrickson Jack, they actually, or she actually just put out an episode about that study about pelvic steaming today, um, which is awesome. So to kind of get into that next topic, um, Fertility Friday, that podcast, look, okay, if you haven't listened to it, first of all, why? <laughs> it's the most incredible podcast about fertility awareness in the world. Um, and that was the very first podcast that I ever subscribed to. I remember. I think I, it's, yeah, I think it's one of the first resources that when I looked into fertility awareness, was available and was comprehensive and talked about mm -hmm. fertility awareness and hormone health. Yeah. And Lisa just, she goes into so much depth covering all sorts of different topics. Um, she's had hundreds of episodes. Um, you just truly cannot go wrong with that podcast. It's an incredible resource. Something that is kind of related and completely unrelated at the same time that I found really helpful when I was doing the Hello 7 small business town hall was to think about where you spend your money as a business owner and also as a personal human, like as a human on your own, and how uh, working towards um, becoming actively anti-racist, buying from BIPOC-owned businesses, as well as freelancers and contractors. And then something that I hadn't thought of was even um, thinking about the software that you pay for and thinking mm -hmm. about where you spend your business money as well as donating regularly to BIPOC organizations <clears throat> has been something that I've done ongoing and should be something that's, that's really built into your business. But then also where you spend your income on um, business items and personal items as well. Um, and then something that I had thought of um, or hadn't thought of actually was like searching for black owned businesses in Google is something that you can do to help the SEO of those um, those websites and help right. Google learn that that's something that people are searching for. Mm -hmm. So actually like actively Googling these things is kind of an indirect way of bringing them up in Google search and improving their SEO. So rather than like, I've seen a lot of people going in Facebook groups being like, hit me up with your BIPOC owned businesses instead. Well, you can do that. That's amazing. But also actually Googling them can be a way of improving their SEO and telling Google that this is something that people care about and, and want and boosting it in the Google rankings. Yeah. That's an awesome point that never occurred to me. Um, I think you're more familiar with SEO, like even just the concept of SEO than I am because you actually have a website. I don't. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't really know what it was. And maybe for some of our listeners, if you guys don't have a website, um, it stands for search engine optimization. And yeah, just, you know, doing what Edelie suggested and just doing those searches that can help to kind of change and tweak the Google algorithm. That's really mm -hmm. interesting. Okay, cool. So we want to get into next what specifically we're doing as a podcast, as our, our platform is developing um, to be in that journey of anti-racism work. So 
Um, now maybe we can kind of switch off on these alternate yeah. points, but let's do it. Um, first, doing continuous education work on our own part and donating consistently, not just a one-off, um, as well as compensating those who educate us. So, like we said, you know, paying for people's work. Some of these things are because we are just starting out. Some of these, some of these things we've visioned as down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we're not making any money on our podcast, but hopefully yeah. down the road we will. And when we get to that point, we want to be able to donate a portion of our podcast profits to BIPOC organizations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also, like we mentioned before, when working with freelancers, contractors, um, software, different services for our business and podcast, as well as in our personal lives, prioritizing working with um, Black women and you know people of color um, and Indigenous people as well. And then another thing that as we envision the future of the podcast and start thinking about the guests that we want to have on our podcast, we want to prioritize having BIPOC uh, on the podcast as guests and not just every once in a while, but consistently all -hmm. the time, Mm -hmm. as well as paying them for their time and sharing about their work in a meaningful way as a podcast Uh, whether that's on a future social media platform we have on our own social media platforms so that we can share their work and their voices. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then also um, having our diversity and inclusion statement and commitment um, on a future website. Um, And then, you know, right now for this podcast, our statement is essentially this episode Something else that um, I was thinking about too is not just having one episode on anti-racism and fertility awareness, but ensuring that it's a thread that goes through all of our episodes. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I've been thinking about too for my own business is that, um, you know, it has to be, it has to be an integrated part in what we do. Otherwise, it's really easy to turn away and ignore it as as white folks because we have to actively work on uh, being anti-racist and being on that journey. So Mm -hmm. this is something that we don't want to just talk about now. And if this is something that if you're listening to this and it's not up your alley, too bad because it's going to be (laughs) it's going to be part of what we talk about, whether that Mm -hmm. is bringing in some of the history of Uh, reproductive health or if it's current events that are happening this is going to be part of what we talk about as a podcast absolutely yeah and I mean I think it's kind of like what you said before where it's like if it doesn't feel like you're like discovering the matrix and things are turned upside down um you know it's not you're not doing it right so if you're listening to this and you're like wow like this is really challenging a lot of beliefs like good um that's what we're aiming toward and that's what we're going to be working toward but at the same time um we're very willing to make mistakes <laughs> um we will inevitably we know that this episode is not perfect we are not perfect 
um, when we're really, we want to be open to receiving feedback and criticism. And so, you know, again, if anyone does have more feedback or voices that you would like to see amplified um, or just more ideas, please do reach out to us at bodyliteracybabes at gmail.com. Or again, you can leave us a voice message and we can actually hear your voice um, on the Anchor app and we can listen to you there. And something else that I just want to mention too is that if we make a mistake or if we say something that we've now unlearned, I personally mm-hmm. would like to keep that in our podcast and I don't want to take it out. Mm-hmm. That that stands for a social media post or a comment or um, something we said in the podcast. I think it's really important to um, be open to failing and when we mm-hmm. do to talk about it and to accept criticism and to not be defensive and to not delete or censor anything that we've unlearned. Right. I think that's or re- erase it. Yeah, or erase yeah. it. I think sharing our journey and our learning is really important. And, um, and it's part yeah. of that accountability as well. Exactly. Yeah, it is part of that accountability and transparency. And then the last thing that we have here that we've mentioned before is to continue to share the work of BIPOC and to amplify their voices. Right now, we don't have a social media platform for the podcast, but we have our own. We have the ability to reach people in this community, and we want to, in our own businesses, use that, uh, use that to amplify the voices mm-hmm. of BIPOC. Thank you for sharing that. And as we start to wrap up this episode, um, again, just really encouraging people listening, if you have um you know, questions or personal stories in relation to this or um, just feedback that you might want to share, again, please reach out to us at bodyliteracybabes at gmail.com. If you do want to share a story, please just include listener story in the topic line uh, or the subject line of the email um, so that we can be able to search for it. Um, And just a quick boundary that we want to share, we cannot offer charting advice to those who are not our clients. Um, just because of the uh, background that we would need to know about basic health history information and previous charting and things like that. Um, So we're not able to offer that type of feedback or advice, um, but we would love to hear your stories. And then, of course, um, if you're able, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, We'd love to hear your feedback, and it really helps us out in terms of Um, getting more visibility and getting this information out to more people. And so, um, Nat, do you want to just wrap up with the socials? Mm -hmm. Uh, One more thing about reviews on Apple Podcasts is that you don't even need to write, like, you don't even need to type out a review. You can just hit the five stars, hopefully, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the five stars. (laughs) You don't need to actually type it out. It is super easy. You can just hit whatever rating you want to give us. And that adds to our visibility in um, the Apple podcast algorithm and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So um, if folks want to connect with either of us, my Instagram is at Fertility Awareness Project and my website is fertilityawarenessproject.ca. What about you, Megan? So for me, I'm over on Instagram and YouTube at Fantastic Fertility, and that's with an M, like Fertility Awareness Method. Um, And I don't have a website yet, so you can find me on the socials. 
And thank you so much for listening, everyone. We are really grateful that you're here and we will chat next time. So until then, body literacy for everyone forever.